0: I'm Farah D. of Farah DJanette Hull Horsemanship in Central Massachusetts in USA. And this is another episode of my podcast where I'll help you liberate your horsemanship. Hey liberated horse peeps. How are you doing? It's fall, which is my favorite season, if you're in the East Coast. Uh, If you're not, if you're down under or around other places, uh, you guys are actually getting uh, warmer there. You're heading into your uh, summer, I think. And um, hopefully we're heading into a drier. Not heavy precipitation winter, but you never know. Um, There is so much going on. It seems like the more I try to, you know, make a little bit better work life balance and choose my projects and things I want to do, it seems like the busier I get. Why is that? How is that? seems like everybody's just so busy all the time. And when you have a farm, you're just always busy. I do feel like I kind of got it in hand a little bit now these days where you get a a little bit of time off here and there. But it just seems like no matter what I do, it's just always busy. There used to be downtime. Winter used to be downtime. That doesn't even happen anymore. Especially if we get a lot of snow. I hope you're enjoying some fall interactions with your horse. If you're not riding, you're just enjoying the weather. Maybe spending time hanging out with them. If you are enjoying riding, we just went on our annual beach ride. That never, ever sucks. Um, Every time, it's amazing. Had a good group of people had some people had a lot of fun it's really really fun for me the fun part for me is I mean obviously going to the beach is always fun and I've gone several times now but when we get people who have never done it before and there's a difference between like sometimes you go on vacation you know and people go to tropical places and they're like yeah you can go ride horses on the beach but first of all a lot of those horses are I always want to call the SPCA on half these places that rent horses to tourists. So that's not going to be an enjoyable experience for anyone who cares about animals. But to be able to ride your horse, your own horse, on the beach, and even maybe, you know, a trot or canter your horse on the beach, the smiles on people's faces are always so huge and they're so happy and that is priceless so it's clearly one of the favorite activities we do at the barn and when people do join us we don't know which they do from time to time uh we have an actual clinic and you know i help people you know sometimes there are horses there this time we had some horses that were a little bit stressed and you know i did my exercises and we worked and got got all the horses to get emotionally settled. And that kind of leads me to one of the subjects for this pod, which was equine emotions. And one of the things about equine emotions, what I find interesting about the horse world is a lot of horse trainers and a lot of and I'm not talking about present company. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know, when I look at general horsemanship, um horses emotions are considered negative. We don't people don't want them. You know, a good horse is a disassociated horse. <clears throat> a lot of times when I see people describing as, you know, a good horse is a horse that's disassociated and we don't like you know people don't like emotional horses um you know it's interesting in the show world and I know obviously a lot of top competitive riders are very skilled and um you know a lot of the horses that are really the outstanding performers in the show ring are very quirky horses horses that have When we say quirky, that means a horse has a large personality and probably can be emotional at times. And those horses are always the, you know, horses that wow everybody in the ring. And it's interesting to note, um, Mercury, who is my Dutch warm blood, if you don't already know, who I raised from a yearling, I would consider him, he's fire and I consider him a highly emotional horse. Fire horses are emotional horses, hence the fire. He's also a huge character, and he's also, I call him the narcissist of the, fire horses are the narcissist of the horse world. It's all about them. So he does like people to look at him and he does want to be the center of attention and he loves to be adored. And even, he's hilarious because if you bring out a camera, he is one of the few horses I ever see that's like, oh, poses. Like, he's like, oh, get my good side. So, very, very funny horse. But also, you know, in the emotional sense, when I competed him more when he was younger in dressage and jumping, um, was highly emotional horse. Very, could put in a you know blistering score in the dressage ring but could also you know I used to joke about our dressage test sometimes they would be like nine eight nine eight nine eight two (laughs) so if you know about dressage scoring those are the scores and we'd be crushing and then he'd have a moment in the ring where you know he would see something Uh, usually it would be something silly like uh, a flower decoration or He did not like the judge's stands. He had to practice quite a bit, getting confident about riding down to the judge's stand, which actually was because they were sitting in horse trailers a lot of times, and he just thought that was wrong. And if you look at everything through an animal's point of view, and I always try to, trotting down center line directly towards two people sitting in the back of a horse trailer seems weird to a horse and why wouldn't it so we had to work on that a lot at home and i was able to have a trailer parked at the place i was boarding actually they were kind enough to park the trailer in the riding ring and we practiced riding down and actually the children there i told them to go stand in the horse trailer and just be there and they were accommodating and we practiced riding down to the horse trailers until Mercury didn't think that was weird anymore. But anyway, very emotional. So, obviously, emotional horses wind up in the hands of more advanced riders a lot of times. But emotions are important. And I feel like with the growing, I'm going to say, obsession with desensitization and the, um, really, the lauding of desensitization... Um, that some of the top trainers, you know, their their whole premise is desensitization, and you know that they you go to their clinics and the horses are basically disassociated. And don't get me wrong, I mean, you want there's something called exposure. It's actually interesting to look at um, the different types of um, if you look from a human standpoint of like how you deal with phobias in in humans you know there's ways to deal with with getting animals in the same way you know used to things so one of the things that's interesting to me about like the beach ride and i take mercury some years i don't take mercury because sometimes i'm riding clients' horses or i'm riding a horse that's green and i'm as i call it the crash test dummy so I, I go out and I take them, you know, to see how they handle it and, you know, get them used to it for their their person. Um, and Mercury I've taken a couple times to beach, but I've mentioned this before. Uh, Mercury hated water when he was a baby and we didn't really get to work with water that much, but he was just dead set against it, and um, it's interesting because as I um, worked with him, you know, obviously I focused mostly on the relationship, uh, hashtag the relationship is everything, and what I found was, was that um, we didn't have to work on water. Eventually, years later, when I first took him to the beach, which happened to be in Florida, And uh, I took him down there for, actually for vacation, not to compete, but just to, I took him with me when I went down there for a month. And um, I remember taking him there and presenting him to the water. And all of a sudden he simply, I asked him to go in the water and he did. And it was so weird because I hadn't, it was the moment of like, this isn't about the Object, the fear, scary object. It's about how much he trusts me and how, how much we're connected. And so when we talk about. Actually, Mercury's also the horse that taught me about that desensitization could actually break trust. So, you know, there's this thing I look at, and it's like when we expose horses to these things and we try to you know get them used to stuff but they do have a good relationship with us sometimes they wind up looking at you like why are you doing this to me and why would you do this i thought we were you know partners and friends and so i kind of liken that to like you know i say this in my clinic sometimes i say you know i'm particularly not uh, a lot of, some people know this about me. Some people from clinics here have heard me talk about how I don't love spiders. I can deal with little spiders, but let's just talk about tarantulas. Okay, so if there was a tarantula, that's a no for me. That's a nope. <laughs> so... I live around spiders all day long Spiders in my house, you know, small spiders that, That's not a huge problem for me I coexist with them I, I do like that they eat bugs, all that But if, you, if there was a tarantula In the house, I would freak out So Anyway, what I say in clinics a lot of times Is, you know What desensitization looks like To me is like, okay, so If, if someone said, fart You need to get over this fear Of tarantulas and I'm gonna throw them at you. I'm gonna throw live tarantulas at you. And till you just, you know, don't, you're not afraid of them anymore. I would, I would, not only would I, the person who was doing that, I would immediately just like distrust and I would go to a place of complete um, panic, probably. And um, probably I would shut down at a certain point because I would what they call flooding. I would get flooded and I would just, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't know what to do. So, to me, a lot of desensitization looks like that. It's like throwing tarantulas at a horse. I don't think that it actually builds trust and makes them feel safer. Eventually, they just go, I don't know what to do, and they just stop. So I always use that example because from an empath place of empathy for horses, that's what I think about when I see some of these things and I see the look on a horse's face. And... It's interesting with Mercury, because Mercury and I have this relationship now. He's 19 now. And I know that Mercury, he he can be flighty, and he can be, you know, spooky about things in his environment. And um, what's interesting is the first few times he's been to the beach ride a few times, and there's quite a lot on the beach where we go. There's kites, and there's cars on the beach, four-wheel drives. And there's dogs, and there's, you know, all kinds of stuff. People fishing, people camp there, there's RVs, all kinds of stuff. And there's all kinds of beachy things like, you know, uh, towels flapping and, you know, uh, wind barricades and all these things. And sunbrellas, which apparently Mercury, that's his his thing. All of that stuff's fine, umbrellas or sun umbrellas, but I say that all to say that each time he's gone to the beach, and this is what I call exposure versus desensitization, he's, he's like, oh yeah, we've been here before, so we've just simply gone, and you know, he's seen some things, we had, there we've had some, uh, one incident with an umbrella where someone popped an umbrella up and he really, really got very highly emotional. And, um, you know, at that point, I had to deal with my emotional first, which is again going back to equine emotions. The thing about that is, when a horse gets highly emotional, in this particular instance, when he sees the umbrella, he gets highly emotional. We first have to go to a place of empathy. My horse is so upset right now, literally panicking. So when a horse is panicking, imagine a human panicking. Now obviously, it can be dangerous for us when a horse is getting into that space. But if we stay in a place of empathy and we have the tools we need to help the horse. So for example, at this beach ride, um, this particular one with Mercury, uh, I remember he saw the umbrella and we tried all kinds of things to help him feel safe. It's because he wouldn't actually even go past the umbrella to go back to the parking lot. It was pretty interesting. And he uh, all the other horses had gone back to the parking lot and he had to go past the umbrella to go to the parking lot and he was all, the last horse and he and I were standing there and he was just panicking and all everyone had gone, so he wasn't even even the hurt. This tells you the level of emotion this When a horse doesn't want to follow other horses, Um, You know, and I use a scale of 1 to 10 when a horse is getting highly emotional or panicking. And he didn't, even his herd mates didn't draw him off the beach. And so eventually someone came down with one of his buddies and we tried to say, hey, you know, why don't you follow your buddy? And he still wouldn't leave, which told me that his level of panic was very high. So he was extremely frightened, like he wanted to bolt down the beach. So I was able to allow him to move away from the umbrella, and I thought, well, at some point, we're going to have to get back up to, that, to the trailer. And I, there was no part of me that knew that this wouldn't, at some point he wouldn't calm down, but he was very panicky at that point. And so we just stayed down there, and we circled, and he moved further away from the umbra- umbrella, actually moving away from the other horses back down the beach. And eventually, we got to a point where, and it seemed like a very long time, actually, I don't know how long it took, but we were down there for long enough that people came and checked. <laughs> and eventually, when he was allowed to become a safer distance from the umbrella, where he could inspect it, then he his, his emotions came down. And eventually, we got up the beach and we found a path that he felt safe and this is the important part he felt safe and I let him show me how he felt safe and now I had a couple horses on the beach ride this time the one we just did that were horses I'd never met before one was young they were uh, buddies Uh, I think one was four but the interesting thing to me was you know, the horses, one of the things that horses experience at the water is what I, at the beach is what I call predatory water. Like some horses are fine with still water, like flat water, like a pond or a lake, but uh, the surf was high, um, the tide was high, and um, the water was coming in very rough surf. And so the horses, I call that predatory water. So that, horse, that water is chasing the horses. They, they go to the edge and they get curious and then the water comes crashing back in. And, you know, that is a very scary thing, a frightening thing. So one of the exercises we did on the beach was, and this is counter to a lot of what I've seen people do to get horses to go towards water and towards the ocean, was I observe the horses and I say to people, I say, where does your horse look like they feel the safest on this beach right now? So you have to find the horse's safe space. They're in a place they've never been before. And there's gonna be a spot where they feel less apprehensive. And in some cases that might be further up the beach, like closer away from the water. And so we had a whole bunch of horses. Some of them could care less about the water or the ocean, but there are a couple that were really like looking at it and, and concerned so the exercise we did was we started as where's the horse's safe place we have to find a new safe place in this new strange place we're in so we found spots where the horse's energy calm, when the horse regulated and I, when the horse regulated we showed the horse showed us that they were regulating then we knew that that was the spot where they felt safe And then we stay in that spot while the horse regulates. And then when your horse gets regulated in their emotions, then you can say, would you like to go forward maybe? And then you watch very closely for the communication your horse is giving you. And that communication is, do they feel safe, relaxed, and calm? And by doing that, this presents such a more supportive and place of empathy and support for the horse where your relationship is actually growing and your horse is becoming confident in you, it's not about becoming confident with the water or confident in the environment. They're gaining confidence in you and you're supporting them in this time where they're feeling emotional. And that is a whole different mindset than this horse has to get desensitized to this thing. And people get fixated on this idea that the horse has to do this thing, this task and they have to get over it. And so it's really important to me that it was really, there was a moment, you know, in the, the, we do groundwork always first in the beach ride, and there was a moment when we had, uh, I think there was nine horses, and everybody was kind of milling around, and some people have gone before, and they were happy, and I sort of look around and look to see who might be struggling with their horses and who's just enjoying themselves and having fun and I, you know, try to help the people whose horses look a little bit stressed or, you know, give them tools. And so there was a moment all of a sudden where I looked around and all the horses seemed regulated and calm and happy and were even playing. And there was some tide pools on the, on the beach and they were playing. And that to me was the moment where I knew we do that exercise before we ride. The horses get to roll. All the horses kind of get to know each other. The horses that don't know each other, they're strangers to us. And there's a, sort of a temporary herd that forms that's with all of us and the new people and the, and the other and our own horses and their horses become like a unit. And that sets the tone for us to go right. And so that creates this sort of safe space where everybody sort of becomes connected and they all experience regulation together as a collective group and that is when I know it's time that we can make a decision to go right and we we do that exercise before every beach ride every year to make sure that all the horses settle all the people calm down and regulate and everybody feels ready to go down and you know do the next step which is to go ride, if they feel like it but the whole point I was making there is about this idea of regulation and how it can be a relationship building experience versus a relationship separating experience and so how we behave when our horse gets emotional is really important and it can build trust and build our relationship or it can actually deteriorate our relationship so think about that next time your horse gets emotional think about one, why are they getting emotional, how can you comfort them how can you get them safe and how can you have both a positive experience in what's happening here and with that I wanted to move on to uh, just another topic that was of interest to me because, um, I went to a hoof clinic recently and, uh, it was interesting because, you know, I'm a hoof nerd. We do hoof rehab at my farm. Uh, and I wanted to share, uh, I've gone, I've gone to a couple of, um, hoof rehab clinics and, uh, you know, I tend to look at, um, all different schools of thought, and you know, try to make sure I'm aware of uh, different points of view. And one of the reasons I got into hoof free rehab is that, um, as a trainer, I progressively was seeing more and more horses brought to me that the they most of the horses when having behavioral or performance issues were in pain. And the top pain things I saw was Lyme disease, ulcers, um, back problems, and hoof problems, and environmental issues. So uh, when I saw that, I didn't set out to do hoof rehab. I had no intention of doing hoof rehab. And then it became necessary to do it, and I had to learn, and then my horse's... That I had, I used to shoe my horses, and God, I wish I had some of them back. These uh, back for because the things we did to to uh, rode them with and pads and all that stuff. And uh, if I knew then what I what I know now, goodness, we wouldn't shouldn't have been. uh, Some of those horses shouldn't have even been performing. But uh, you know, when you're young, all I saw was people shoeing horses. Uh, I didn't even know there was anything any other way. So as I gained knowledge and figured out that, you know, you didn't have to put shoes on horses and that, um, actually it could be damaging and it actually allowed them to perform in pain and, you know, uh, a lot of horses with shoes on, if you pulled their shoes would be unsound. So it gives a false sense of soundness. So, um, I love when people say, my horse is only sound with shoes on. That's such a weird statement to me. Um, Actually, your horse isn't sound, but you've made them comfortable. It's like giving them beauty. But um, anyway, we still use protection. Doesn't mean you don't need protection on horse's feet. Sometimes glue-ons, sometimes boots, whatever your choice is. Not metal. Things are non-metal protection. But anyway... Was interesting because recently um, the clinic I went to, uh, they were talking about dressage and the how dressage done with humanity and correct application, not sport dressage, but um, physical therapy type dressage, chiropractic dressage, the kind that we do here to rehab horses, would actually actually impacts the wear of the horse's hooves and point being that obviously if you're riding your horses chiropractically straight their hooves are going to wear better which means that you know the whole premise of dressage is to improve the posture and straightness of the horse which means that they don't um Eventually, over time, if they're ridden consistently that way, the way they load their hooves is going to change. So, one of the things that I love about looking at a barefoot horse when it comes in to me is, I mean, I can see it in a shod, in a metal shoe too, if we pull shoes. But one of the things that I notice is how is the horse loading. Now, horses get flares and load for a variety of reasons. Um, I have to watch the horse move and see are they is it the way they're loading and what's causing them to load that way is it um, an injury compensation just um, one-sided type training so um, when you look at the front hooves and the back hooves, and you look at where the flares are and you know obviously there's different reasons for flares to show up there's several reasons flares show up but it's pretty easy to actually see the asymmetries in the hoof a lot of times and even listening a lot of times I listen to horses in my aisle walking over the concrete aisle and you can actually hear if you listen when a horse is landing and loading one foot harder like the the sound of their hoof footfall, there'll be a heavy step out of three out of of, out of the four steps and um So you can uh, also videotape your horses um, watching, you can see how they land in slow-mo, that's so helpful. You know, a lot of phones have slow-mo video, I encourage you to do that and watch how your horses land in the front and the back on uh, flat surfaces, Uh, priceless information. But yeah, I start to look, when a horse comes in here, I immediately look at where they're Uh, asymmetries are in their hoof and where they're loading, watch them walk and then um, obviously look at their musculature but knowing that the straighter and better posture I can put that horse in and teach their person and using dressage uh, classical dressage that we can improve the wear of the horse's foot by doing that and it's pretty interesting uh, because Uh, You don't hear a lot of people talking about that, but um, yeah, Uh, dressage, helping your barefoot horse um, wear their foot better, which is just logical, right? So when people are like, oh, I don't do dressage, I often say, what are you doing exactly? So obviously not all of us have Goals to do upper level dressage, but basically, a good dressage horse, even a training level dressage horse without even lateral work, is a horse that's basically being ridden straight and being ridden equal uh, in symmetry, what I would call symmetry. So, um, straight can be a, a misnomer sometimes, but basically, it would be better. There's a lot of words in horsemanship that should be changed. Okay symmetry, riding your horse symmetrical, riding your horse aligned and in a straight posture is a better way to say than uh, in your side you always say the horse is crooked, get him straight and if you don't know much about your side you'd be like well if I'm going around a curve how do I get my horse straight? It's like you know, seems contradictory but anyway, it's about straightness in the posture and The posture being symmetrical, so the horse develops symmetrically. So, riding your horse symmetrically. I like to say symmetrical, I think it makes more sense, it's more logical. So many things that are terminology we use in horse training that's not really logical, but everyone just says it. Um, Not to mention all those French words and German words that we've interjected into dressage that you know if you're. Dressage nerd. So think about that. You know, if you're not learning dressage, um, and you don't need fancy gear, you can ride it with bareback pads. You can do it with bitless. You can do it with a liberty rein or a neck strap, or nothing. But the learning the basic principles of you know correct riding and. Riding for symmetry can help your horse, uh, not only soundness-wise overall, obviously soundness, but it can help their hoof, their hoof development too. So I just wanted to mention that because uh, I think that's a pretty interesting uh, point of view that we don't hear talked about a lot. And um, also I hear hoof trimmers talking about shoulder stiffness making toe-first landings, which uh, some people may have heard But, um, you know, if you're doing good suppleness work and you're suppling your horse's shoulders through various lateral exercises, then um, you can alleviate a lot of that. And as well as learning body work, I'm a huge proponent of owners learning body work on their horse's behalf as not only as a wellness thing but also as a bonding thing so not just brushing but learning something anything tea touch you know masterson twina chinese medical massage um, uh, acupressure you know there's a bunch of ac- acupressure courses. there's so much you can learn learn some body work for your horse and your horse will appreciate that maybe in conjunction with their grooming and your bonding time. If you're spending time just hanging out with them, you know, all of that stuff. They'll appreciate that. And I've seen some really nice improvements in some of my uh, client sources who have learned some techniques. Uh, it supports my process when, the, you know, and it supports their other processes, their acupuncture and their chiropractic work that they're getting chiropractic. So anyway, I encourage that um and uh yeah moving on to uh our herb du jour today i picked an oh so invasive quote unquote plant which is an amazing plant that grows on the farm and yeah it grows everywhere kind of smells good though um, Maybe it's not on your farm, but it's probably growing on some of your properties, and that is mugwort. Mugwort is in the artemisia family, and that means it's in the wormwood family, and wormwood is, um, if some of you know, uh, artemisia is what we use in um, when we do um, acupuncture and we do moxibustion. They specifically like to use Artemisia, which you may not know from Moxa, or at least our vet does. But anyway, mugwort is in a similar category and it grows everywhere. And actually, sidebar, um, I'm reading this mugwort thing right out of my new ebook. I just wrote an ebook, people, and it's called Why Is My Horse Eating That? And, um, I'm going to release that soon. Um, I'm going to have downloads of it available, but, um, I'll be sharing that soon, some information on that soon. But yeah, I just wrote an ebook. What? How do I have time to do that? So anyway, mugwort, I'm actually reading my mugwort out of my ebook. Uh, digestive health, hormone regulation. You know, GI tract stuff uh, good for colic um, actually good for anxiety and stress emotional versus pain relief antibacterial and antifungal immune support respiratory health and skin health and parasites so um, if you did not attend my uh, what's growing on my farm Uh, zoom class that I just did really recently I think in the middle of September and I picked all things that were fresh growing on the farm and did a live zoom and uh, mugwort was widely available and it was the number one chosen thing when I'm doing my worksheets Um, I had my worksheets out and I had Angus and Mercury in the barn and the worksheets I use allow me to get the health pattern that's showing up because I'll start checking off the spreadsheet has all the herbs and it allows me to I'll check off the things as the horses are taking them and then I check off how much they're they're taking and hands down mugwort was the favorite between Angus and Mercury in that particular uh, class and I was paying attention to um, I was paying attention to what they were eating and how they were uh, working, uh, you know, with the the fresh herbs that I had brought in. And so um, it was interesting to me that they both took the uh, mugwort in large quantities because when we're doing zoopharmacognize, we measure, do they just want a little bit, like maybe a bite or two? Do they want you know, a larger amount, or are they just, like, give me a lot of that? Like, they're eating it with, uh, sometimes I use the word desperation, or they're, they're just like, give me more, give me more, give me more. So, that's, that was the herb that they wanted the most. And so, um, yeah, go see if you can find some bugwort out there, see if your horse wants some, and, uh, then you'll know if your horse needs Uh, some of those medicinal benefits from that it'll tell you that your horse is trying to balance something and on to upcoming events um I've got this weekend and I know the clinic is full uh Liberty Fundamentals in Ipswich Mass at Cedarwood Farm on Sunday um However, uh, we do have auditing space, I think. So if you want to audit, you haven't seen my work here in the area, you can just probably still jump in there. And the best, the absolute best new thing we're doing this year is Haunted Barn at Ohana. If you are in the New England area, October 29th, we're going to have a haunted barn. So come and see us 5 to 8 p.m. That's definitely a local thing though. And I've got some masterclasses I'm going to be offering soon. And I actually asked in the socials uh, if you guys had any master classes you'd be interested in doing. Hit me up. I have a lot of ideas of my own, but um, if you have one you'd like to see, let me know what that might be. And, uh, yeah, I might uh, pick your master class so um, until then until the next pod uh, maybe I'll see you at Haunted Barn or at an upcoming clinic or uh, I'll see you on the socials alright, bye out more about Faradijanet Whole Horsemanship at FDHorsemanship.com YouTube Faradijanet Horsemanship on Facebook at FDHorsemanship on Instagram at FDHorsemanship on Twitter and also you can join my membership site at FDHorsemanship.com where you can have access to virtual coaching, my online mentor program and also many many videos plus videos for sale on cold starting and many exercises that I teach.